World Economic Report on Drive Time. That's what it is. That's what it is. In this week's World Economic Report, we have a look at the following. The capacity of the informal economy to stimulate employment. Moody sounds alarm over SA banks. And Montache unveils eight independent power suppliers. Online, a senior researcher, Department of Political Science at the University of Pretoria, Dr. Jason Misyorka. Twitter handle is at Jason Misyorka. Dr. Jason Misyorka, welcome. Thank you so much, Shafiq, for having me. And um, a, a happy Human Rights Day delayed to the listeners. Indeed. Let's have a look at uh, our, our first topic here, the capacity of the informal economy to stimulate employment. I think we've spoken around this topic quite a lot, and it does seem as if government is kind of hoping that SMMEs can come uh, to the party. Your take on all of this? So my take in all of this, uh, Shafiq, is that uh, the informal economy is a fundamental driver of employment uh, across the continent. And as a matter of fact, globally speaking, over 60% of all employment derives from the informal economy. And by informal economy, we mean the kinds of economic activities that are not necessarily regulated uh, by the state and yet they thrive and they operate. So your uh, street traders would be an example of those and so forth and so on. So with that said, what we have in South Africa, there's a unique case here. In most of the developed countries, so your Europe and uh, North America, what you will find in those economies is a, is a very minimal informal economy and a large formal economy. But by the same token, you find that employment is very low. In fact, in most of the uh, developed states, you are looking at full employment, which by the time it arrives at about plus minus 4% unemployment, they consider it as full employment. That said, South Africa has the features of a developed economy in the sense that our informal economy here is very, very minimal. And that explains why our unemployment has continued to be stubbornly high, because the formal sector creates jobs in a much slower way than the informal. So the lack of entrepreneurship in South Africa, which we know based on the Global Entrepreneurial Report, um, and that combined with the fact that there is a very small uh, informal economy explains why we have high levels of unemployment. And if we can try and create conditions for the informal economy, uh, often what we've tended to do and what governments have tended to do is to shut down the informal traders and harass them. And, you know, they're harassed by the police, by municipal authorities and so forth and so on. And yet they are fundamental in economic development. If we can adopt a developmental perspective by creating good conditions for them to thrive and those who would like to formalize for them to formalize, then we would have a pathway to a much better figure of unemployment. How do we remove all of these obstacles and hurdles in terms of the informal sector? Year in and year out, the president, whether it's uh, Madiba or whether it is Ramaphosa, will talk about SMMEs, the development of the informal economy, so-called. Nothing ever happens. Um, in Cape Town, uh, people uh, set up informal trading and uh, people with blue lights come and s- sort of smear them off the, the sidewalk, con- confiscate all their goods, and that comes to a grinding halt. Where does the answer lie? 
the, the one of the fundamental bottlenecks that we have is is the is the is a bad ideology in the sense that we've always sought to criminalize activities or economic uh, um, activities that are informal and unfortunately it's a colonial mentality that that has consistently seen informal traders as a nuisance and you know it's really just wasting space as unclean that narrative is wrong it's a it's a narrative that is based Purely, it, it falls squarely on the colonial enterprise that 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 camouflaged uh, discrimination uh, in the sense of you know wanting to clean up the city and so on. And I mean, it does link to South Africa's apartheid regime. Clearly, you remember that the times of remove, forced removals and forced uh, people forced out of cities, and they cannot trade in cities, they cannot live in cities. So the Bantu stands were set up purely as partly as a way of cleaning up. Uh, cities and so forth and so on from uh, unskilled and so on. So that kind of mentality continues and it has to change. It's, it's a neo-colonial version of it. And if we change our ideology and just look at the data, statistically speaking, the employment numbers, the contribution to GDP of the informal economy, the fact that the informal economy supports a lot of livelihoods across the country, because the formal sector is not sufficient. It's not well equipped to absorb everybody, especially the semi-skilled and, and the non-skilled, of which that is the majority of the labor force in South Africa. So you will have to create or you will have to create better conditions for the informal economy so that we can absorb the semi-skilled and the unskilled labor force. They can, that will, the, the, the fundamental change will have to take place on a theoretical level or conceptual level where or ideologies and perspectives and perceptions of informal economic changes to seeing it as a positive contributor to GDP. Let's go back uh, to Moody's. Uh, Moody's not very popular in South Africa because they're always saying bad things about us. Sounding an, al- an alarm over some South African banks. I know one or two of our banks have held back on dividends. Um, but our banks so far have uh, survived. So why are Moody's getting excited about our banks in particular? I think there has been, so, uh, from my point of view, and I'm always critical of these rating agencies and not least uh, Moody's, they, they, uh, they are sounding alarm on the backdrop of the way the banks have responded to, to COVID-19, and of which, as we know, the banks were cautious in their responses, and they were working with the government in one way or the other, in supplying loans, providing loans, and making sure that um, you know um, people who or citizens who have uh, loan, uh, mortgages, they don't default. And in the strategizing of all of that, according to Moody's, they feel that uh, most of the banks have been are very exposed. They have a high level of exposure when it comes to credit uh, lending, and that is keep in mind that we were looking at we are looking at across the board where the banks were involved in lending out to businesses and to households. Um, I, I, in, from my point of view, I think that uh, this is not a, a typical market change or market situation. One has to understand the backdrop of. Uh, the fact that the banks were also, remember, if, if you lose, if, if the banks, uh, if, for example, if, if I lose my property because I cannot repay the bank, what then happens is the bank will repo my, my house or my property, 
and, and they will try and get it back to the market. The problem is that even when they get it to the market, nobody has any money to buy. So ultimately, you're going to have redundant assets. And, and I think that's forward-looking for me. And looking at that entire circle and not just the lending itself, it is critical to try and uh, analyze and understand the, the behavior of the banks. I have to say that the South African banks have a reputation of being very conservative. So, in fact, if you look at um, there's a Moody's report that has looked not just in South African banks, but in the rest of Africa, they have issued an alarm on the same. So, South Africa is not really alone in that kind of alarm that Moody's is raising. And the point I'm trying to raise here is that the South African banks, they still fare much better in terms of their calculations, their risk uh, calculations compared to most of the other African banks. But given the situation we had and the COVID-19, of course, these are unpeculiar waters, untreaded waters, and it's expected that you are going to have some non-conventional action from the banks themselves as they try and, on one, help to balance uh, the the devastation of the pandemic, but on, on the other side, also looking at ways that don't trap them into precarious uh, or risky uh, situations. Let's look at our, our last uh, item under discussion, Gwadi Mantasha unveiling, unveiling eight independent power supplies. Your take on that? So he has, I think, and firstly, that's a positive uh, indication. What he has done is that he's... Um, he did indicate that he's going to put out a call for proposals, but he has unveiled these eight um, independent power producers expected to produce about 1,845 megawatts. That's not really much, but it, it does solve part of the problem, keeping in mind that according to ESCOM for the next five years, we are looking at approximately 4,000 megawatts deficit. So if we look at cutting that by half because the independent power producers are given an opportunity, that is a positive step forward. But I, I am a little curious why we are only talking about eight of them. I, I just wish that we were looking at covering the entire deficit of the 4,000 megawatts. But what he also did lay out is that any entity that has to succeed in this process uh, they, in the independent power production you have to have 51% South African owned, and you have to be 41% black owned. So he did, he did, the government did put that criteria as a way of uh, black economic empowerment um, process. But that's where we are, and I think it's a step forward. It's a, it's a baby step, but uh, there's still a long way to go. But I think, to be fair, it's a, it's a, positive, it's a step towards the right direction. Yeah, just enough to power your laptop. I suppose, um, <laughs> hoping that, yeah, we can uh, pick up much more momentum towards uh, the next five years, of which we need to gain to, to gather even more megawatts. Dr. Jason Misyorka, Senior Researcher, University of Pretoria, as always, uh, joining us for our weekly World Economic Report. Of course, we'll be back next week. Different actors, different stage. Dr. Jason Misyorka, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.